Well, you know I'm preaching because I got a jacket on. But I mixed up with some of you because I didn't wear a tie, and you don't know what to do with that. You know, jacket and tie, that means I'm preaching. Let's pray. Lord, you are Lord of all, including our mouth. And we don't like that. And yet, Lord, help us to be people of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. For years now, we've made a point that you are a bunch of rotten sinners. Um, I, I mean, we, I should have said we, we are a bunch of repeat offenders as sinners. Uh, and we've, we've made it this way. We've had you raise your hands at different points. And, and it, it goes a little like this if you don't know what I'm talking about. Raise your hand if this week you robbed a bank while wearing the mask of a president. Okay, well, maybe this one. Raise your hand this week if you swore profusely while battling crooks for a hidden treasure. Nobody, okay. okay. Last one, I guess. Uh, raise your hand if you dabble in witchcraft to defeat him who shall not be named. Okay, next week we're all talking about lying. You, you've heard us say that before. I got a little problem with this, though. It's not the awkward nudge. This, the, the weird spousal moment, especially the closer up front you're sitting when this happens, just remember people are behind you and they're watching your marriage lived out. When, you know, the, the, the question we slip on you is, how many of you haven't told your wife that you love her lately because it's February 14th or something and we're preaching and then you, you hear the whack uh, and you're like, oh, somebody got caught. Uh, that's awkward, but that's not the problem I have. It's, it's not that you might be the only person with your hand raised or standing, kind of like, who yelled at your kids on the way, way to church today? And you're the only gut, one guts enough to admit it. Not that you're the only one that did that, but you're, the, you're sitting in the front, you raise your hand, you look around and realize, oh no, I'm the only bad dad in the room, which again, isn't the case. Our, our point with that, if you're ever wondering, is again, we're all great sinners in need of an even greater grace that we find at the cross. And we repeat that sin over and over and over again. Here's my problem with it, though. It's that we never get to the promised sermon a week later. We always tell you we're going to be talking about lying, and then we never do that. Pastor Greg has been promising for years now, and we still haven't had a lying sermon seven days later. You can ask him. I told him I was going to tell, him, tell on him on this way. It's not, it's not just him, though. I've even planned on preaching a sermon online before because of that. I, we, we keep doing that. I'm like, we've got to have that sermon sometime. But I keep putting off. Well, have you seen the sermon title today? It's finally next week. <laughs> We're talking about everybody's favorite subject, lying. Okay, it's nobody's favorite subject, but... We're going to talk about lying today. So we're going to be flying through Scripture. If you don't do well finding passages like Zechariah and, and different things in the Old Testament, feel free to just look up on the screens, or if your fingers just don't fly that fast, or you just want to look on the screens anyways, I might even do that a couple times, because I have a lot more verses than I ever preached used in one passage. Usually I keep this in my study, the flipping around. I use it from time to time. But we're going to start in Leviticus 19, 11, and 12. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I know that's not news to you. You've heard that before. A lot of this may be familiar, especially at the beginning. I'm just, just pulling in some passages that Scripture talks about that we shouldn't lie, that it's not to be part of us. And we've got to start with the Old Testament and in the law. 
God said, don't be liars. Don't swear in my name and then not live up to it. He actually goes on and says, don't swear in my name at all. But especially if you're not going to live by it. Don't deceive each other and don't swear falsely. We'll come back to that one in a little bit. Flip all the way to the other end, Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Puts it very much the same, but in a really neat picture about grace. Colossians 3, 9, and 10. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is, I think I have the wrong, I'm in Philippians. That's a great verse, but that, that is not Colossians 3, that's Philippians 3. Sorry, Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Again, if you need to, maybe I need to, just look on the screen. Do not lie to each other. Since, it gives us a reason, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. A couple falls ago in the youth group, we talked about, uh, or went through a series looking at through the Spirit and some different passages that talked about it, and I think it was this one in Colossians in particular, but where it basically says we get a new set of clothes when we come to Christ. We did it in the fall with students because that's when they always get a new set of clothes. Okay, around here it's in August because we start school really early. But you get a new set of clothes. Well, God says the same thing. You took off that old nasty shirt that's called lying. You threw it away because it's not even worth working in the yard in. And you got a new shirt from Christ called truth. So don't run back and grab your old nasty shirt that's been rotting in the trash with a banana peel on it and throw it back on so you can lie. We've taken those clothes off and we put on new clothes, better clothes. Do not lie. It's it's an old thing. It's not new to us. The hard part is living it out. I call these passages, I've started picking up on it. It has something to do with Greg and I'll get into that some other time if you want. Um, But but we use water to talk about how we teach. And, And these are shallow stream passages. You walk in ankle deep, you got it. There's no scuba diving here where you go deep to figure out what it means. It means don't lie. It's just we get freaked out that we're going to drown in the ankle deep water because that really scares us. Wait, if I can't lie, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble in life, (laughs) which is funny when you think about it because lying is what gets us in trouble all the time anyway. But we start thinking through the social ramifications Even scripture goes deeper than that, though. We're going to go back to Exodus, and I kind of mentioned it in the Leviticus one, but in Exodus 20, when it presents it in the Ten Commandments, this is why I didn't start with it, it actually phrases it differently. It doesn't doesn't say don't lie. It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't misrepresent your coworker to the boss. Don't lie to one neighbor to get him in trouble with another one. Don't rat out your brother or sister with something that's false. Just don't lie, but it specifically don't bear false testimony. Half-truths, completely wrong non-truths, little white lies, whatever we want to come up with, God says don't do that. Interestingly, though, Leviticus, I told you we were going to flip around, Leviticus 5 calls a different kind of testimony basically a lie also, and it's the non-testimony. It's the non-witness. 
Leviticus 5.1, if a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. It's the silent lie of, I didn't see nothing, even though you did. Go talk to police agencies of cities around the world about how much of a problem this is for them. Neighbors that won't testify, and so gangs, gangs in particular, grow and grow and grow until they can't be stopped. Because when they first got in, their neighbors were too scared to say no. It's worth danger to myself to stand on truth. I won't allow that here. I saw it. I'll testify. And I got to trust to my laws to keep me safe. I understand that's scary. But it's interesting. All of a sudden you can see where, you know, we think of lying and not bearing false witness. Okay, that's one category. And the Bible comes in and says it's bigger than you think. This commitment to truth is much bigger than you think. It's not just not lying falsely on the stand. It's taking the stand and not lying that you didn't see anything when you're the one that needs to come and bring the light of truth to a situation. And forget the courtroom for a second. How many times do we stay silent in non-court situations when we need to speak up? There's a meeting going on at your business and everybody's heading one direction. And you have a bit of truth that you need to put out there and you're not gutsy enough to say, I know this and you need to hear this. And that's something that ultimately doesn't really matter. How many times do we feel God tugging on our hearts, go share the gospel, and we sit silent. And that person needs to hear the truth that we'll celebrate this morning. Zechariah 8, here's the fun one to find. I cheated, I have it marked. I have it marked with Zechariah on it. I love the minor prophets, but they're so small and so squished together, they can be impossible to find. Zechariah eight sixteen. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Speak the truth to each other. Now, as we talk about truth and lying, this isn't a call to just throw social graces out the door and tell somebody you hate their hair. That's just dumb, that, especially if they're, if they're within reach. And, I mean, all kinds of bad things will happen. So that's not what I'm saying. But we are to speak truth. Christians are to be known as truth speakers and not people of falsehood or error. Proverbs 22, or I'm sorry, 12, verse 22. The Lord detests, detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. If we want to live up to our purpose to glorify God, we can't be liars. He's not glorified in that, but he rejoices in truth. If we want to bring glory to God, if we want to worship him, if we want our lives to match our worship moments, then we must speak truth. Then Matthew 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount grabs the law and takes it to an extent we simply can't live out. That's part of the point. You can't do this. It's beyond you. You need a savior. The law is always pointing to the cross. 
5 verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not, even, or do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black or present if it's not there to begin with. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Imagine how it would completely transform your life if you and if the people around you could be understood by what they said. If communication was 100% effective, I told you I'd do this, so I'll be there. How many phone calls and emails and pesterings could you just drop because somebody's word could be trusted that much? How many things could you believe without having to research if somebody was simply incapable of telling an error? And God says, Jesus is eyeballing people while he's living this life and saying, let your yes be yes. If you say it, it is. If you say it isn't, then it isn't. At least in the part of your desire to uphold the truth. Just let it be. So I love you means I love you, not I love you only for today. I'll pick you up at eight means I'll pick you up at eight, not nine. We have a culture that can't make it anywhere on time. It's a simple thing, but imagine how that transforms it. And that's an insignificant thing because it goes beyond that. You've got to at some point ask the question, why does this matter so much? Who cares if I say I'll be there at 8 and I don't make it until 9 other than maybe the person that had to be somewhere at 8.05? It's not that big of a deal, is it? Well, it is. It's not worse than other sins. I can think of a lot of sins I'd rather somebody lie to me about than actually do. If you hate me enough to kill me, just lie to me. I'm more okay with that. So it isn't that it's worse than other sins, but it is bad in a different way than other sins. In a way that has some different implications, at least, I think. You can walk away from a spouse, and grace can cover that. It boggles my mind, but that's how great grace is. You can kill somebody, and grace can cover that. There are Christians on death row. I don't know which ones, and they're not a Christian just because they say it. But there are Christians that have just lost it and done horrible things. And God says not to do those two, but we're looking at lying today. And, it, and that question, why does it matter so much? It has a different answer. Because if, if I lost it and I started killing people, at some point I could say, you know, I need grace to cover me, and you need to put me to death because I can't explain what's going on. That's my opinion. It comes from Romans 13. If you disagree with me, don't let me lose you here. But I don't want to do that again. And it's tragic. But these next things might still be unaffected by it. So let's look at why it matters so much, at least according to Scripture. Turn to John 8, 44. Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees because they don't like that he is saying things like that from the Sermon on the Mount. He made them look bad. 
because, well, he made them look as they really were instead of looking very religious and sometimes like church people. John 8, 44. You, he's talking to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Ooh. Why does it matter if as Christians we speak the truth? Because Satan is the father of lies. He doesn't hold to the truth at all. There's no truth that even exists in him. Lying is his native language. So if lying is your native language or your default language that you drop back to when you're tired, when you're tested, ooh, that's kind of scary. He's the father of lies, and because of that, hopefully, your life bears a different family resemblance. But if as Christians we are known as liars, ultimately what Jesus is saying is, perhaps you're not a Christian at all. Perhaps you're still acting like your father the liar. You want to know why they, they wanted to kill Jesus? It's because he called their father the devil. among other things. Why does it matter if you can trust me when I talk to you? I don't mean I'm perfect, but why does it matter if I can trust you when I talk to you? And again, I don't mean you're perfect, but if I have some hope of believing what you say, yes, Michelle, I'll help you out in in two weeks on Sunday. Why does it matter that she can believe that? No, Randy, I'm not helping out with Awana this year because I'm doing this or or just I don't feel like it. Instead of, oh, well, um, yeah, and then coming up with something that all of a sudden three weeks later when Randy sees you caught in a lie, now he's confused. But I sit next to you in a pew. Well, not next to you because that's his family, but in front or behind you in a pew. I'd have been okay with you telling me I didn't want to. But you told me that you couldn't speak for three months. I don't think anybody would do that one, but you know, when we're caught in lies, it's absurd how far we go. Randy's response on that, by the way, would be, I'm just looking for listeners. Great! (laughs) Hopefully you bear a different family resemblance, and it's this one. Because God, this is the second reason it matters. Satan's the father of lies, and we don't want to look like him. Although we did, every single one of us. Instead, new clothes put on in Christ, we ought to look like God, who's the author of truth. All truth, by the way. Numbers 23, I know, flipping again. All the way back to the Old Testament. Keep going, or just look on the screen. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man. Ouch. That just hurts. I tell my students all the time, the Bible's not boring. If you read that and you come out bored, something's wrong with you. You ought to read that and come out either offended because you disagree with it or hurt because you know it's true. But boredom got tossed aside the minute you just got got called out personally. 
If you're walking around school or work or the neighborhood and somebody goes, uh, I don't lie like you, hopefully you keep your calm and handle it the right way. But it's not going to be a mellow, boring day at that point. You're not going to go home, what happened? Nothing. You're going to go home, what happened? Uh, the neighbor just called me a liar. And you're going to jump on Facebook and try to get all your friends to tell you that you're not a liar and about a billion other things to prove that your neighbor's an idiot, which they aren't. They're just a fallen person. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And if you're jumping to Jonah, where God pronounces judgment, and then shows them grace, two things. One, judgment comes much later, unfortunately for them, because they embraced grace and then their later generations did not. The other thing is, keep in mind, Jonah knew that God was a God of grace. Maybe there was more to the message. He shows up and just goes, God hates you, you're dying. Ha! But we know there's more to the message, and he knows that's why he ran. So don't take a passage like that and think that God's backing out on his word. God has said, I'm a God of grace. Repentance will be met with grace. And now, no repentance, you'll face this. So if that's what you immediately thought of, this passage is saying, number one, God's not like us. Quit trying to make him like us. The only time God is like us is in the person of Christ as he's living out true humanity. And that's without sin. Hebrews makes that clear, as does the rest of the Bible. He's not like us, he doesn't lie. He's not like us, he doesn't change his mind. He's not like us, he doesn't come up short of the facts, and so he makes a wrong decision that didn't have all the information that needed. He's God. He's completely different from us. God says, I speak truth. I am not like Satan the liar. I'm the author of truth. Isaiah 45. Eighteen and nineteen. For this is what the Lord says He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited, He says. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, Speak the truth. I declare what is right. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He speaks truth. He declares right. And by the way, that means this. Man does not determine rightness or truth. Not culture or society. It can observe and ought to observe truth. And it is accountable to it. And holds others accountable. It's not science. It discovers truth and it describes truth, but it does not declare truth. Some scientists are getting that wrong right now. Not all. Nor is it inherent to science. You look at the history of science and current science, and there are amazing people who are searching truth and call it truth when they see it. Amazing discoveries have happened by Christians who wanted to honor God and science. Please don't think they're at war with each other. They are not. It's a false war that exists in our culture, but not a real war 
that God is on one side from science or truth from. God declares truth. Science discovers it. It's not even individuals. We're either condemned by truth when we reject it. We're shown grace because of truth. When we come in repentance and we're declared right by truth. We can recognize truth, but God determines it. He created it. It's established on his word. Hebrews 6, a little bit longer passage. Verse 16 through the first part of 19. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. Not that they should, but they do. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Or just makes a bigger one. Verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us might be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Men swear by higher authorities. We do it all the time. Not always by God. Sometimes we're not gutsy enough to go that big. Sometimes it's just by the person above us. Well, my dad said, (laughs) for my son, I love it. One of my sons, it's one of his friends, and I giggle about it all the time. Well, dad, you know that so-and-so said this. Well, okay, that must be true then. We're going to listen to little kids now. Um, It's a kick because I'm getting challenged all the time in that. Uh, I love it. He's a good friend, by the way. So I, I love that he at least is the standard of truth. But he's like, let's set the, the bar a little higher there. Let's go above, you know, the five-year-old. Uh, it's kind of funny. But we swear by things that we think are higher authorities. Sometimes God, if we're gutsy, although God says don't do that. God, however, is the ultimate authority. There's nobody higher to, to swear by. So here it says, well, basically he's swearing by himself. By his own character and name. And that brings up a very important thing. God cannot lie. That's what he's calling upon. He cannot and does not lie. And this does not undermine his power. It doesn't take an omnipotent God and make him no longer omnipotent. Because it's not a lack of power to lie. It's a character and nature that is incompatible with lying. Now hear me carefully on that. I'm not saying God could lie if he wanted to. It's simply that God would never want to. But it's a power to do whatever he wants to do. Nothing is holding him back. And it's not a cop-out. It's a logical statement. You just got to work it through. And if it ends up short, then I said it poorly. On top of that, God's unchangeable. He doesn't go by fashions or fads. And if we can't trust him, we're in trouble because our very hope lies in the strength of his promises. You've heard Pastor Greg say that all the time too. Go live out and trust in his promises. They matter. How many times though in life have we found somebody that we're like, it doesn't matter what they promise us, it will never happen. In fact, they're so bad at it, I'm going to start betting on the opposite of what they promise. I might win and succeed then. And we know people like that. Hopefully we are not people like that. Those are two reasons. First, Satan is the father of lies and we don't want to look like him. God is the author of truth. And as Christians, we ought to bear his image. 
So as Christians, we shouldn't be okay with lying. We should be quick to repent when we see it. We should be careful and loving when we confront others, when we see it in them. We need to strive to be people of truth and knowledge. Third reason, though, is our witness is enhanced or undermined by our commitment to truth. And I think this is maybe the one that almost matters most. And I don't mean that the others don't matter or that they're lesser. It's just this is what makes it so different from murder or something else. Different from stealing. Different from gossip, although that's getting close now. But gossip can sometimes be true. Not ever okay, but it can sometimes be true. If we're liars, it undermines our witness. Why believe the liar? If you're a non-Christian and you're facing somebody who claims to know the gospel and truth, but you know that they are a liar, why would you believe them? It's a great quote. Those of you C.S. Lewis fans, I'm not going to quote it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. But in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, they're faced with this ridiculous statement by Lucy, the young girl who's been to Narnia and speaks truth. And she's saying one thing, and Edmund, the liar, her older brother, not oldest, but older, is saying something equally as passionate that sounds right. And the professor, a character in the story, comes along and says, well, which one is the one that tells truth? Lucy. Well, then you're left with the obvious choice. She's telling the truth, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. But you know Edmund is a liar, so why would you believe him no matter how good it sounds? His character undermines his statement, and hers upholds her statement. The same is true with us. If you are known in your office, neighborhood, school, or home as someone who never speaks truth, why would the non-Christians hear the gospel from you? Your lying has now become an impediment to them enjoying grace. It matters that much. We cannot be liars. Furthermore, why believe the careless mistake maker or the frequent forwarder? They just are the person that's always wrong and always passing stuff on and never checking it to see if it's accurate. It may not flat out be lying, but they're no longer somebody committed to truth They're just committed to being the first one to tell you whether it's right or wrong. The news might be something you're thinking of right now. Why would you listen to them? You don't mean to tell me lies. You're just always wrong. I'm not going to pay attention to you then. And if you're known as that person and it comes time to share the gospel, no matter how great and true it may be, it's going to get thrown in the junk file with all the other questionable things. However, why wouldn't I, if I'm a non-Christian, believe you or at least wrestle with the statement you make if I know you're the one person that I know is always right, or at least is always trying to be right, that's done their homework, that doesn't lie to me. If I'm in an office and I see everybody lying because of the father of lies influence on their life, and I see one person who's the weird one that claims Christ, but, you know, I don't like hanging out with them. But I know this, when they say something, it's right. 
When they say something, it's been investigated. When they say something, I might not like it, but I at least have to come up with good reasons to throw it aside. Why wouldn't I at least pay attention? Why does it matter? Because we can't effectively live out our church's purpose statement if we can't be believed. Here's the statement. We exist to ignite a passion in every person to glorify God and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. Why would they ever choose to be passionate about a lie or something that can't be trusted? Satan's the father of lies. God is the author of truth. And we point to God. There ought to be a family resemblance. And it matters that we can be trusted. It just does. One more verse for you. Acts 5. In case you still think it's not a very big deal. And keep in mind, this is post-cross. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to to men, but to God. The issue wasn't the money. He could have sold it and kept all of it. That would have been okay. The issue was that he lied and said he gave it all to the church. He'd have told the truth and said, well, I'm going to give you half and then I'm going to keep the other half. That would have been okay too. Peter said, you lied. And you see a very Old Testament type moment happen. I mean, like, where the land's opening up and swallowing people that are challenging Moses. By the way, I know Pastor Appreciation Month ended, but before you are careless with your mouth regarding Pastor Benji and the elders, read the Old Testament. Ooh, you got to have guts to challenge somebody in leadership. And you better be right, by the way. The Bible talks about how to do that, by the, in case you're wondering. But a very Old Testament moment, they drop dead. You think church is boring? (laughs) We're going to come to communion in a minute. Before you lie about it, I just read Acts 5. You could drop dead. If you're a Christian, you ought to believe that. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope, by the way, right now, nobody has a heart attack during communion because that would just look bad. But don't jump to conclusions. But it could happen. And you see it in Acts 5. And yeah, I'm crazy enough to believe that's not just a made-up story. And if you're a Christian, you've got to be that crazy too. That means worship is totally transformed. We sang a song before announcements. It should scare you to death. Brokenness? You want brokenness? No, you don't. Faithfulness, we want faithfulness. I want to be faithful. But all those things we sing, if we're people of truth, you have to mean it. And if you're not telling the truth, you have to, as a Christian, start getting a little worried about the Ananias and Sapphira story. Because truth matters. Let me wrap it up. 
What do we do with that? Well, first, speak truth. It seems simple. And back it up with a life that upholds truth. I can't tell you how many ways we undermine truth. Well, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to live a different way. Well, if the Bible's truth, we just undermine truth. We may not intend to be flat out lying, but we're treading on truth, and that's not okay. Speak truth and live it out. Secondly, graciously defend truth. If Satan is the father of lies and God is the author of truth, I don't mean to be offensive to people who don't know Christ in the room, but ultimately that means lying is our default language. Running from truth is our natural attitude. And as Christians, we need to uphold truth and graciously defend it. Our world doesn't want to hear it. And we have to hold them to it because it matters to them. If communion matters, truth has to matter too then. So we need to share it and take a stand. However, we need to do so graciously. It helps if it's within an existing relationship. It matters if you know the person. There are times you have to speak up to a stranger in the, in the mall and tell them to stop doing what they're doing. But most of the time it doesn't work well. Before you just run up to a skater and tell them to get lost, well, just don't do that anyways. But invite them. They need God's word too. But it, it works better when we confront people in relationship. Always, though, whether it's in relationship or not with somebody, always in love and grace. That's why we don't go to funerals and hold up signs and tell people God hates people. There's no grace there. It's why we don't blow up abortion clinics. There's no grace. Instead, we share the gospel with a neighbor. We support CareNet. We embrace Operation Christmas Child in a billion other ways that we can celebrate truth and defend it in a world that knows lies. Let's pray. Lord, may we be faith, faithful to your word, speakers of truth. And Lord, thank you so much for grace that covers our lives. Grace that can reach somebody we've lied to. And so while it matters that we speak truth, their faith and their future is in your hands and not mine. What a blessing. Lord, help us to bear a wonderful family re resemblance because you have taken over our life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to turn to communion now and end our service with communion. We'd encourage anybody, even if grace isn't your home, if you're a visitor, if you claim Christ, if you claim to have enjoyed grace and know Christ as your Savior, join us. If you haven't, we'd encourage you to sit and watch. There's no shame in that, by the way. People are uncomfortable sometimes doing that, but, but you can just watch. It's us speaking truth, declaring that we are identified with Christ as we take the bread that his body was broken for our sins, that it was nailed to the cross because I needed my sins to be taken care of and I couldn't pay the price. And we get to the cup that his blood covers me and washes me clean because I needed a savior. It also declares that I am 
welcome before a God who enjoys me because I'm in right relationship with him. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pass the elements, and then we'll all take it together. So just hold on to them, and then I'll tell you when to take the bread and when to take the cup. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Such a wonder and joy to celebrate. Such a magnificent thing to know that you paid the price for our sins on the cross and that any who'd believe in you will know forgiveness and freedom and enjoy grace. Amen.